So my name's Jen. I am 34 and I am a widowed mom with four children. I lost my husband in November of 2020. Sorry uh, to hear in that. the height of the pandemic. And that, this is where I am now. That's my life. I mean, I wear a million hats. I've been a million different people in my life, but this one by far is the most challenging yet the most rewarding altogether. Yeah. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, four children. It's only been, it's coming up on two and a half years. Two, yeah, about two and a half years. When my husband passed, my kids were 12, three, one, and five months old. Wow. They are now, we have two birthdays next week. So we've, we're, we're coming up on a 15 year old, a seven year old, a four year old, and a three year old. So, wow, we are we we have kept on living. Life keeps going, right? You don't have a choice. Life does keep going. That's the weirdest part. You, you sort of exist in this bubble of emotions where you're like, well, my whole world just fell apart. But then the rest of the world, you look outside and you're like, oh, this hasn't changed at all. This at is all. weird. <laughs> it's the strangest reality, right? It's like an alternate universe that you live on when grief comes into your life. And I always tell people it was as if I remember the day that I left the hospital that my husband's name was Brandon. So the day that I left the hospital after he took his last breath, I remember walking outside and it was like the colors were different. The smells were different. The world around me was just different. It was, it was, and it wasn't in a way that it was tarnished or dirtier. It was like more vibrant. It was, it was really crazy. Cause I can really, I can go back to that moment at any given second when I close my eyes and it's just like, I walked out into this alternate universe where everything was so much bigger and wider than I had ever imagined it to be. When you are on the outside looking into grief, when you hear stuff like that, you're like, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And then when you've experienced grief, you're like, well, actually nothing sounds crazy anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Not at all. And that's, it's the truth. I had no concept of grief prior to having it in this fashion. I mean, I've lost people in my life. I've lost grandparents. I mean, we've even lost friends along the way, but it, it was nothing like this loss, this profound loss of your person, your yeah. other half. And it's just, it shakes you down to your core and it implodes everything inside of you, everything outside of you. And it's just... Yeah, you you finally get to see, you know, that life is we only you only experience maybe the smallest smidge of it yeah. until something like something like this happens. Yeah. That's why I like talking about it because first off, I mean it's it feels good talking about it, but secondly, it's just it's such a fascinating human experience that just exists outside of our world of everything makes sense and logic. It's just crazy. And it's a human experience that you wouldn't choose for yourself, right? (laughs) No. It's not like, oh, it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, I want to go on this adventure and I want to go experience this, this, you know, wonder of the world. Like it's nothing you'd ever choose for yourself. But yet when you're in it, I, I tell people all the time, grief is a gift. 
there's this gift that comes along with it. And it takes time to get to the point. And I also usually follow that up with, if you're new to grief, just as I was one time, and if you would have told me that grief was a gift, I probably would have throat punched you <laughs> in the beginning of this and told you to kindly... And I, I, I kind of curse a lot, so I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Yeah, I would have told you to kindly fuck right <laughs> off yeah. because I didn't want to hear things like that, you know? But yeah. now, you know, when you, as you begin to grow around it and you can step out of the shadows of it all, out of the darkness and back into the light of your life, you know, you kind of see there's these amazing gifts that actually come from this profound grief that we live with. Yeah. And we subconsciously do opt in to it because we opt into loving somebody enough where their passing means so much, right? Like we, right. we could make the choice to never opt into that. You know, we, we don't really think about the repercussions of that. We don't think about somebody dying when we, when we love somebody that much, but that's, that's what we are opting into, but we just, we, we don't read the fine print. You know, it's like you sign the terms of service on the phone. You're like, oh, no, this yeah, this sounds great. And then the time print is like, well, at the end, this is going to suck. <laughs> yes, right? Right? It's like, you, like when people are dating, like you tell them all the time, look, it's a 50-50 chance. You either end up in marriage or you break up. Like yeah. the relationship either goes on and on and on. But like we completely forget about this part that like if the relationship keeps going, you're not guaranteed every single day that this person's going to be – that you're going to be there for that matter. Yeah. The fact that this death happens to everyone, right? Everyone in some – facet of their life experience a loss because we all live and we all die. Those are the two constants, right? Yeah. Yet we have death and the life and the life that you live with grief and alongside grief so removed from our humanity that nobody knows what to do with it until they're in it. Yeah. Yeah, we've completely disconnected that 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 connection that we had with death has been removed over time in society and Yes. We may be starting to open it back up, but... Uh, well, I hope we are. Yeah, I hope so, That's too. What conversations <laughs> are for, right? Yeah. To let people know that they're missing out on a world of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of a world of emotions, let's go back to what happened to Brandon. When did you find out what was happening? What was that like? Was it a long journey until he passed? Was it short? Right. So Brandon was a recovering drug addict. I mean, just to give you a short snippet of his life, he was born to two addicted parents. By the time he was 13 years old, his mother had passed away and his dad was just an alcoholic and he was being raised by his grandmother and his aunt. And he lived a very hard life. On one hand, you had this amazing human who had an uncanny ability to play baseball you know, he could have gone above and beyond in the world of baseball. He had so many opportunities. But then you had this other kid that was trapped inside this traumatic life of trauma and grief and loss, and no one knew what to do with it. And so he turned to self-medication. And we met when I was 19, and I was pregnant about a month into our relationship. Oh, wow. It was a roller coaster, but it was, hey, you know, we met, we were dating. I was pregnant with our first son. And about 
you know, six months or so into our relationship, I realized that there was a much bigger demon here that was, that I was faced with, but he was a beautiful human despite that. And he fought a very hard fight trying to get to sobriety. The majority of our story is spent around recovery rooms and sobriety and helping others and relapses and pulling it back in. We even had a couple of years of separation where we just, I, I, we had to go our separate ways and we had to figure this out. I had to grow up. He had to grow up and he moved away and he found sobriety and we came back together and we built a beautiful life. We left, we were originally from the, the New Orleans area and we left the New Orleans area and came to Dallas and we went on to have three more kids here and we were living a great life and he was fully invested into his sobriety. He was a sponsor, he had sponsees, he was a youth baseball coach in our community and he was just giving back of himself to anyone and the COVID shutdown came. He was the sole provider for the family. I was a stay-at-home mom. And although he worked in the oil industry, it was a little scary at times because we weren't sure if, you know, transportation would be grounded and things like that. And, you know, his he was scared for his livelihood. You know, they shut down our kids playing baseball. They shut down meetings. They shut down all kinds of things. We we couldn't get to therapy. You couldn't see your therapist. You couldn't see anything. And I guess about, we had our, our baby, our, my youngest son was born in May of 2020. So we're in the middle of the shutdown. All these things are happening. Our fourth child's born. And I guess I would say by about September or so, I noticed he was just really falling into a deep depression that hadn't been around in a very long time. And I mean, you just, he couldn't, you, you couldn't get the help that you needed at the time because, you know, you're in a global pandemic and you can't go to your therapist and you can't get the medicines that you need. And it was awful. And by the time November rolled around, he had relapsed and he came to me and he told me that this had happened and he started and he was like, you know, I don't want to go back into this life. I don't, I don't want to do this. And so he started to detox at home. And on about the third day, he wasn't feeling well. And, you know, he told me, and it was expected, you know, and it had been a very long time since we had been through this, but we, it was something that I had known and I had experienced with him previously. And, you know, he went and laid down and, you know, I told him I'd check on him later. Well, we f I fell asleep. He was in another room and about 4.30 that next morning, I heard a crash in you know, the front of our house. And I went and I walked out there and he was laying in our foyer having a seizure. So I called 911 and the paramedics arrived and he was lucid and he came to, but he was still very confused. And anybody who's had a seizure, if you've ever experienced that before, you come out very confused. So they keep ha they kept having to reiterate to him, look, you have to go to the hospital and get checked. You have a bruise on the side of your face. You hit your head. You know, that's signs of trauma, you know, this, that, and the other. But the problem was we were in the pandemic yeah. and I couldn't go with him. I couldn't go with him to the hospital. Oh. So, plus I had four the kids. Four now. kids, yeah. And we lived away from everyone because we lived in Dallas and we were not from here. So having 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 to rely on other people wasn't really our forte at the time because we were all each other had. So he goes to the hospital. I filled out some paperwork with the paramedics that stated, you know, where he was picked up from, 
what my phone number was, that I was his emergency contact. I sent his insurance card with him, all all of it. He went and about an hour or so after they left my house, I hadn't heard anything. So I called the hospital that I thought he was going to and he wasn't there. So then I had to like go on this search for him and I eventually found him at a hospital called Dallas Regional Medical Center. And when when I got a hold of the emergency room, they had told me he had already been discharged. And I was like, well, why? Because he went in there as a seizure patient. Y'all were supposed to call me so I could advocate for him over the phone. Y'all, you know, y'all need to triage him. I'm like, he hit his head. And they were like, oh no, he's already been discharged. He's outside sitting on a bench waiting to be picked up. So I was like, okay. So I got in the car and I go to go get him. And this hospital is about 25 minutes from my house. So the original hospital that he was supposed to go to is only 10. So they bypassed that one, went to this one. I get there, he's outside on the bench and there's a security guard standing there with him. And I said, you know, hey, I said, I'm here to get him. And I said, Brandon, come on, you can get in the car. And Brandon looked at me and he pointed to himself and he said, are you here to get me? And I was like, well, yeah, dummy, like get, I, me, I wasn't at the time. Like he's, they told me, obviously he was discharged. I'm thinking he's fine. And he was like, who are you? He didn't know who I was. And it was, I was like, it's me, it's Jen, your wife, you know, we have four kids and I had to call his aunt to raise him at this time. And I'm like, look, he, I was like, I can't even explain to you what happened right now. I was like, but just know I need to get him in the car and he doesn't know who I am. Can you please see if, you know, he knows who you are? So she got on the phone with him and he was like, oh, hey, you know, whatever. She said, get in the car with Jen. She's going to get you taken care of. So we left from that hospital. Oh, and to backtrack, the security guard, when I asked him, I said, you know, what is going on? You know, this is crazy. He doesn't even know who I am. And the security guard said to me, oh, ma'am, he must have did something they didn't like in there because they put him out. Oh, my God. And I was just kind of like, and and I'm at this point, I'm in fight or flight, right? Like, yeah, My nervous yeah. system's shot. I've got, I left my kids at home at like 6.30 in the morning. They're all going to be waking up to go to school. But tw- at the time, my oldest was 12. He's going to wake up to all these babies in the house and his parents aren't there. I don't want to tell him that his dad got rushed to the hospital. You know, nobody knows this is happening. There's, my kids were completely unscathed from all of this trauma, And I am just like, you know, I'm like, I just got to get home. I got to get home and get the kids taken care of. And then I'll get Brandon taken care of. Because I mean, at this point, he's sitting next to me. He's living. He's breathing. He can talk to me. He's just a little confused, right? So I come home, drive the 20 minutes back to my house. I pull in the driveway and I turn to him and I said, look, I said, don't move. I said, you need to stay right here in this car. I said, I am running in this house. I'm just yelling to the kids, hey, somebody's coming, but I'm leaving. Just hold tight. And I was like, you don't move. And as soon as I got out of my car and I stood up, I turned to the side and he was standing up outside of the car. And I ran to like the other side of the car because I just felt in my heart something wasn't right. And he collapsed right in front of me and went straight to the cement, head head to the cement. And it was... If you've ever experienced a trauma, trauma in any sort of capacity, it was awful. It was just, it was as if he went dark, right? There was no life left inside of him, yet he was convulsing and he was breathing, but he was not there. And so I called 911 again and about 20 minutes after 
that 911 call, the paramedics showed up. I remember the firemen were the same firemen that came because it was the paramedics that arrived first. It was the same ones from that same that got there the first time. And they were like flabbergasted that they were back at my house with him. They were like, why is he even home? And I was just, I was distraught. And like, they didn't even pull out a, like a stretcher or a gurney. They just like picked him up by his arms and his legs, put him in the ambulance and started intubating him and took off. He was then brought to the first hospital, which was 10 minutes from my house, which is more of a trauma hospital. And I got a call immediately from the emergency room and they said, this is not good. They said he needs to be airlifted to Big Baylor in Dallas and he's going to have to undergo emergency neurosurgery to try to take some swelling off of his brain. And they were like, you know, we really need to get you here to try to get some answers as to what's going on. And, you know, this is, this is where we are. So in that moment I left and I ran, you know, I, I got my kids set up with a neighbor and at this time I, I just go and I get to that hospital and again, he's intubated and they're trying to keep him calm and comfortable and he is not conscious. And then, you know, the next step is that they air flight him and they air, they airlifted him to a big bailer and at that time underwent emergency neurosurgery and the you know the 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 end all be all of the story is that the surgery was not successful. He spent about three days in the ICU. We attempted to donate his organs. That was not successful. I took him off of life support on his thirty seventh birthday, and he died the very next day. Yeah. So it was it was pretty 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 traumatic. And it's all within the same week of Thanksgiving. So, you know, every year we've got his, you know, we've got the accident, his birthday, the day he died, Thanksgiving. So it's, it's, that's, that's pretty much that, that is the tragic story of it all. And it's, I went through a lot the very first year trying to get answers of what happened. Why was he discharged? Why was he not treated? And, you know, we just live in a society where med- we our, our, our medical care is just, it is, it's amazing, yet it's awful. And then, it, and the awful is so protected that you, there, there's, there's, there's absolutely no justice for the terrible things that go wrong. And so I think a lot, you know, what it, what a lot of it comes down to is his history played a major part. I think he was just looked at as a drug addict, even though he was detoxing and he was on, you know, his third day of detox. He wasn't looked at as, as a human being who needed help. He was looked at as somebody who, you know, how, how society views him. And sometimes it, it just, it is what it is. That's the story of it all. And it's, it's stigmatizing and it's shameful, but you don't have, you know, I had to learn and even loving him to shut the noise out because the stigma and the shame is not ours to carry. That's, that's the misunderstanding in this life. And when he died and people wanted to know what happened it took, I, I never wanted to say, oh, well, he relapsed a couple of days prior to all this. And then that be the thing that overshadowed it all. And the thing is, is he was so much more than that. And he was so much more than the treatment that he got that day. And it's just, this is where it's led me now. I mean, that's the, that's the gory story of it all, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously that's absolutely brutal. I'm so sorry. When my mom got really sick, the the medical treatment in the hospital was what I would consider quite subpar as well. Obviously nothing to this extent, but I was very surprised. I was like, well, this is supposed to be a good hospital. Like, what is going on here? And, you know, you peel back layers and the system's not great. Yeah. I'll, let's leave it at that because we could talk about we, you know we could talk the about the hospital system in this country for a long time, and I don't want to focus on that too much. But there's that's for a different there's, day. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 clearly room for improvement. But I mean, the first thing that I think of is you know the amount of work that you must have done to get over the anger. Oh yes, because that's the first thing I think of when I hear the stories: the anger at the system at this. It's overwhelming. Oh, it, you know? I was full of rage, full of rage. I I think the first year, it didn't matter. I mean, if I felt sadness, rage was coming next. If I felt happiness, rage was coming next. If, you know, trying to be a mother to my four children, I was overwhelmed and overstimulated and I was full of rage that I was doing this alone when I shouldn't have been doing this alone. You know, and I was, I was very, 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 very angry and I would take it out on anyone and everyone. And I like, it, it was the rage monster. I, I had no idea I could harbor so much anger because I am a very forgiving and compassionate and empathetic person. Like if there's anybody you want to call when you're raging and be calmed down, chances are it's going to be me. But when I tell you I could have burned at the stake for what I was going through, I mean, I, I literally lived on fire. I had such angst and anger inside of me. And it was, and it didn't matter what I felt though. And that, that was the thing. And, and I couldn't get to the root of it until I realized that it was just, I mean, it was, I was going through postpartum depression for one from being, I was in postpartum of, with a five month old baby and I was already in treatment for that. I mean, I, I, I had struggled with that with all of my pregnancies. And so every baby that I had, I knew to lead the hospital with myself taken care of. So I was having, I was dealing with postpartum depression. I was a breastfeeding mom. I had three other children at home and it was just, I was so, 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 so mad. And now I'm a grieving widow at that, right? Now I'm a grieving widow. And it was just, I had this, this house we were living in and I was being told I had to probate and I had to do memorials. And I'm like, what even does all this mean when you're 32 years old, 33 years old? What does this even mean? I don't even know what word y'all are saying to me right now. And so, yeah. And then I, 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 I started, eventually the anger got to be too much, right? And I was like, I don't want to live like this. I'm not trying to cause any more trauma on my children. Like as like that, let's just cut it what it is. They're going to have a life of trauma. They have a parent who died regardless of how, when, or whatever they've ever lived through. The bottom line is they have a parent who passed away and there's no escaping that trauma. And here I am, the living parent. I didn't need to die with him, right? 
even if I was still going to be alive every day. Like, and, and that's really what propelled me. My children propelled me to find a different way. And so that's what I did. And I, I guess about a year after, after a year of kind of just sitting, I, I like to say, I, I, you know, I sat in the shit, I sat in suck of it all. And I felt everything. The one thing I remember telling people through that first year is I didn't want to bypass a single feeling. I wanted to feel everything because if I didn't feel it, I knew it would keep coming back. And that was something that I learned from Brandon himself, that if you didn't feel it, you couldn't heal it, right? So I I consciously chose to intentionally feel everything that came up. And then about a year, I guess so after the first year mark, I I began to really kind of deep dive into what am I going to do to start to heal? And I had been in traditional therapy so much in my life, so much. And it just, it, it, I, I, I didn't want to just go sit in a room and talk and talk and talk and talk. Like I wanted to be around people who were going through it. I wanted to be around people who walked this. I didn't want to just go talk to somebody who read it in a book and was going to give me the words. And I, I, I just, I didn't want that. And I came across Emily's TikTok and it just, that's how this all started. And I dove headfirst in with her and I became versed in the fact that our bodies hold on to all of this trauma, all of this pain, all of this emotion, all of the physiological makeup that literally, you know, half of our world is walking around with autoimmune disease. And it's because we, we keep so much shit inside of us that needs to get out. You know, yeah, some things, some things aren't that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's all that, but so much of our sickness in this world is because we harbor all of this hard stuff. And although hard things happen and heartbreaking things happen, we do have a choice with it. Even when you feel like you don't, because I didn't feel like I had a choice for a long time, but the truth of the matter is, is you, you do, you have a choice with how you're going to continue to live through something so traumatic and so tragic as these losses that we've experienced. Yeah. I think there's a time where you can't that time period afterwards where it's like, you're not, you're not finding any answers. You're just going to be in the shit. As you said, there's no option, but there is a time where you're like, okay, I, I can work through this. I think I like to call it the manifestations of emotional trauma. That's, yeah. that's what, how I see it. It's just everything manifests itself physically eventually. It's a volcano that's bubbling inside of you. You can't just keep that in. Eventually, it's going to burst. You can decide if you want it to burst in a way that you really don't want to, which is when you don't address it at all, or you can hash it out somehow so that it's somewhat manageable or, or it manifests physically in a way that is of your choosing. Do you consider it somewhat of a blessing in hindsight that you had to do all this work with Brandon because it seems like in your grief journey you realized some things based on his journey and Absolutely. that like do you think it would have taken you a lot longer or would your two and a half years be a lot worse if not for those learnings Absolutely so much of 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 what we went through has I mean I have my self awareness is 
am ridiculous. You know, sometimes I, I like loathe myself for the amount of self-awareness that I have for a human being. And I don't say that to toot my own horn because yeah. it's like a double-edged sword. Sometimes I <laughs> wish I could be oblivious to some of the shit that I do, but no, I'm, I, I, I am self-aware and I can call myself out on my shit. But part of that is because since I was 19 years old until I lost him, my entire life was like it, it was, it was in that bubble of addiction and recovery. And that in and of itself is like life and death, but in, yeah. in, in, in living. Right. So it's like, but, but, but it's not viewed that way and you yeah. don't get it until you're in it until you live it. the same thing as grief. And so absolutely, you know, those years and, and that life with him and the journey of watching, you know, working steps and moving through a program and community and sharing your story, not just for yourself, but for other people to hear it, to know that there's a possibility of a beautiful life on the other side of tragedy definitely has made me understand grief a little bit more. Definitely. But I say that and I still wouldn't have understood grief. Even with that experience in my life, I couldn't, had I, when I would meet someone who experienced loss, there was still a wall there. Like I couldn't understand it because I had yet to go through something like that. And so now it's like this whole array of things and it's like, I completely understand it now. And yes, that entire life that I lived with him and the journey that I walked with him is so integrated into what I do now. And it just keeps going yeah. and going and going. You have four children, one of which was, it seems like one of which was old enough to to understand the circumstances. Not, a, I mean, obviously you're a child, you don't really understand any of this, but like you had one who was of an age where- Yeah, so at the time he was 12, yeah. yeah. And, what, and then your other child was five, right? And then you had the very young ones, right? And then I had very yeah. young, so, yeah. For the 12 year old and the five year old, how do you approach those conversations of what happened to their father? And then what has their grief journey been like? And, and how, how has that relationship been in the last two and a half years? How do you, how do you manage that with a child that knew their father? Like it's a different, obviously it's different when, when they're younger, they don't, they don't remember. And right. the, the, obviously that is a trauma that they don't really unpack until later. But I think that's something that I, I, I want to understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so my 12 year old, well, he's now, he's about, he'll be 15 next week. And you see, he, he grew up with Brandon and I. And the one thing, and I mean, some people might say, damn, y'all were, you know, whatever. But I think the best thing we ever did is everything Brandon and I went through was never a secret with him. He knew from a very early age that his dad had a disease of the mind, that he had something that was going on inside of him that he had to get help for. And we started those conversations very early by explaining to him, you know, why his dad didn't drink like you know, other people did when we were at certain functions or why does his dad have to go to meetings? Why do we go to therapy? You know, why are y'all together? Why are y'all not together? And the thing about him is he rode a roller coaster with us. You know, 
but I was 19 when I had him. I had, you know, I, I found out I was having a baby and I mean, this is going to be great. I mean, I, I was a baby. I was a baby, but I was a very determined woman. And so, and Brandon was a very determined man and it was him and I and our son against the world. And the one thing that we did, and the one thing I always told him is I felt that I had so many secrets in my life growing up. And Brandon felt that he had so many secrets in his life growing up. And we didn't want, and my oldest son is Brayden, we didn't want him to feel like we kept secrets from him. So we found ways in his, whatever was age appropriate at the time, to keep him involved in what was happening in our life. So he always knew that there was something there. And as he got older, I mean, he watched his dad move away and go to rehab and live in sober living. And we would visit him on the weekends. Like there was, there was, there was this whole year of our life that was just so enthralled with recovery and support that Brayden didn't know anything else, but that his, that was our life, you know? And then when we moved to Texas after that year of sobriety and we started to have more of a family and Brandon got the job that he had, he got to have his dad in a different light. But his dad still went to meetings. He still went to therapy. They still did recovery things. But his dad was his baseball coach again. And his dad brought him to school and he was there for dinner at night. And he was there when he woke up in the morning. And you know, he was providing and all of these things. So he got to experience this magnificent journey with him. And then this happened. And I remember when I, I, I called Brayden from the hospital when the neurosurgeon told me that, it, that the surgery wasn't successful and that I had to start, you know, figuring out what my plans were and what I wanted to do. And I think, I don't know if I'll ever know if I made the right decisions with this, but I called my son on the phone. And I said, you know, I probably should come home and talk to you face to face, but I don't know how to do that right now. And I want you to know that you have an option to come up here to this hospital, but your dad's not going to come home. Like this is just, this is, this is it. He's not coming home. And my son chose not to go to the hospital, which I'm forever grateful for because none of my kids, they only remember their dad telling them good night the night before he fell. And they'll never, ever have to know him the way he was in the hospital. They'll never have to see him have those memories of him. And so he chose not to go. But a couple days after he had passed and my trips to the hospital weren't happening anymore, and we were just sitting in the living room looking at each other like this is the most fucking weird thing we've ever been through in our life, he looked at me and he said, did drugs do this? And... I just kind of stopped in my tracks and I said, you know, son, I said, that's a very hard question to answer. Like it's not cut and dry because it did and it didn't. Like he didn't overdose. He didn't, he didn't go whatever, but there's things that I'll never have answers to. And I don't know why this happened because it just did, you know, but yes, did his, did his history play a part in it? To some extent it did, but it's not like, you know, it's not the end all be all of it because he wasn't, he wasn't choosing that life. Anyway, here we are now two years out from it. And, you know, my son, he is amazing. He really is. He's a gentle giant. He's a big old boy. And he, you know, the good, the one thing that my, that Brandon did 
is he surrounded Braden with amazing people because of sports, coaches, his teammates, all of that. And he literally, a month after Brandon died, he was back out on the baseball field with his friends, with his coaches, out on the football field, doing what he loves. And that is literally what pushes him still to this day. He's a freshman in high school now. And he spends, you know, he's up and out the door at 645 every morning to go work out with the football team. And he's at school till seven o'clock, either having a baseball game or practicing. And he also is not someone I can get into traditional therapy. He has been in it for a very long time. He does not want to sit in a room and talk to somebody. It's not often that he will talk to anybody about his emotions, you know, but when it comes out, it comes out and he's a very smart boy. And he's very in tune to the things around him. And, you know, we just, we ebb and flow together. I know when he, I, I, I know when he's on it and I know when he's not on it. I know when, you know, I can, I can, I can read when he needs a little bit more of mental health days when it's just a little too heavy. And when, you know, I might have to reach out to a friend, to one of his friend's dads and say, hey, can you come step in and, and handle this one for me? Because I really think he's missing Brandon and I think he needs to talk to a guy, not his mom. And I just have to call on the village. And so for him, you know, his grief is, is it's that. And it's his focus is really, if it wouldn't be for his sports and the men that my husband put around him, you know, I, 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 I think he would be struggling a lot more, but he's, he really, he surprises me every day. He's, he's really an amazing kid. And then my, my, my little girl who is next in line, she will, she's six and a half right now. She was three, three ish, four ish. She had just turned four when this happened and she is very much like me. She is she has this uncanny ability to tap into every emotion that she possibly has. And she was not scared to let you know what she was feeling from the moment this all happened until now. Um, she will talk to me about how she's feeling. She will talk about her grief. She will talk about it with anybody. I mean, she just came yesterday, for example, she came inside to tell me that one of our neighbor's little cousins asked her why her dad is never here. And she said, well, my dad's in heaven, you know, and she said, you know, I, he, I caught him. She was like, he kind of didn't know what to say, mom. And I'm like, well, people don't know what to say. I was like, you're, you know, we're a little blunt about it. You know, I was like, but you know, you did a good job. I was like, you, all you did was speak your truth and that's all you can do. And if you didn't want to talk about it, you have every right to tell people you don't want to talk about it. Or you tell people your daddy's in heaven and you know, that's, that's your story. But she's, she's very emotional. She cries a lot. <laughs> she misses her dad a lot. They were very, very, very close, even for only having four years together. She was a major light in Brandon's life. You know, we didn't think that we'd have a family and more kids. And when, after eight years of just having Brayden, we had, her name's Briar. She was just this amazing light and she just pumped so much life back into him. And it was, it was pretty amazing. And she's great. And the two babies, honestly, you know, they don't remember him, but they are so connected to him. And it's, it's really, it's really funny to watch how no, even though he's not here, it's as if, especially my, my, my littlest, my little boy who was five months old when all this happened, 
Like, it's as if he's known his dad his entire life. And it's like he just lives through him. So Kit's grief is is a wild ride. And I mean, yeah. it is definitely a hard thing to navigate while trying to navigate your own grief. But there, you know, I know when I have to put mine on the back burner and it's like, this is about y'all because it's not just about my loss. And yeah. I think in the beginning, that's why I had a lot of anger because I didn't know how to... I was so overwhelmed with everything. I didn't know how to show up for my own grief, let alone my kids. And it was like every, it was just this one big ball of emotion in this house. And it was just like, I had to be selfish and I had to just, you know, I would, I would send my kids to their grandmas and I, or to whoever would take them. And I'd be like, I cannot mom right now. Like they're feeling feelings. I'm feeling feelings. And I've got to get myself under control so I even know how to approach their emotions. And so that's what I did. I had to get selfish and I had to put being a mom on the back burner for a little bit. And I could only focus on one kid at a time and focus on myself. And now, now, two years out, it's so much easier to to say, you know what, I'm going to deal with my grief later. Like I might be feeling it right now, but I'll pick this back up. I know how, I know that I'm not in the thick of it. My kids are in the thick of whatever they're feeling right now and they, they don't know how to self-regulate. So we're going to teach them how to do that, you know, through this. So now we're just a big family of nervous system regulation and deep breathing and yoga practices and nature walks. So that's, I mean, it sounds very healthy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I love every second of it. I love when my kids want to do, you know, a yoga flow to work through whatever it is that they're working through, because just as much as I needed that for me, they need it too. And it's like, I, they're, they're little people with big old emotions, just like we are. And just like, we don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. So we're figuring it out together. You mentioned how there was this point where you were like, "Well, I, I can't, I can't be angry. I can't be just sitting in this shit." Was there something? Is there anything specific about that time that you remember that was that turning point, or is it just like this blur of like you knew that it was almost like you were you were watching this video of yourself being in there? Yeah, there's kind of like two sides to that. Yeah. So. Part of the anger, too, was the first year I wanted answers. I wanted justice. I was on the phone with attorneys constantly because I wanted, I felt that there was malpractice lawsuit in this. I felt that there was like negligence. I wanted answers as to what happened. And this is kind of getting back into the medical stuff, but it's kind of impossible, at least in the state of Texas, from what I've come to learn to prove intent around gross negligence in an emergency room. And so I finally got to the point where I was sick and freaking tired of reliving the trauma. I didn't want to tell the story again to another person that was just going to tell me, oh, I can't help you. I didn't want to, you know, I was sick of hearing people say, you need answers. You need answers. You need justice. You know, there's, 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 there's justice out there for you and the kids. And it just, it got like my, I was so in this bubble of searching for answers that I finally, I remember it was just like, it all fell. And I was like, fuck all of this. I don't need answers anymore. I know something terrible happened. 
I'm not going to keep reliving the trauma. I'm going to take what has happened to me and I'm going to make something of it. I don't need someone else to find justice for Brandon's story. The justice is in how I live. The justice is in how I raise my kids. The justice is in what comes out of a legacy for him and for my children. And I think it was it was literally at the one year mark. I remember we, you know, we, I was sitting in the backyard the night and it was November 23rd, you know, between his birthday and all that stuff. And we had family in town and I remember I was sitting in the backyard, we had a fire going and I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm ready for something different. Like I, I'm, I'm tired. I, I want to be able to, to manage my emotions. I want to be able to manage my life. Like I want to live again. I want to be happy again. I want to thrive again. You know, I, I, I know that it will never be the same, right? But I want to know that there is some sort of hope on the other side. And I think that's when I started to just to really dive into other widows and widower stories. And I was just like, somebody has to, there's people out there that I know are walking through this, that I'm not the only one. And that's when I, you know, it goes back, but I, that's, that's when I found Emily and her, her grief group. And I remember the first time her and I talked and I was like, you know, she was two years out from her loss at this time or a year and a half, something like that. And I remember being like, you know, I I want the knowledge that you have. Number one, I want the knowledge to know what it is that I'm talking about and why my body feels the way that it feels. So that way I can also tell my kids, this is why you're feeling the way that you feel. And so it's just, I, I just, I needed to know more. So my I had like this shift of I'm done looking for answers from an outside source. I want the answers from inside of me. And then I want these answers to come out. And as I began to do the healing work and learn to move through my emotions, work out again, you know, learn to embody not just the good stuff. Like I learned to embody the horrible feelings that came with it. But then I also learned how to embody the really good that came with it. And you live that life of duality, right? You straddle, like you straddle this line where, you know, there's this immense gratitude and joy, but there's this overarching sadness and pain, but they coexist together and it's okay, right? It doesn't mean that you're not moving forward with your life. It doesn't mean that you're stuck. It just means that you stand in two places at once a lot of times in your life. And sometimes you, you're not over that line, right? Sometimes you're in, in full joy and full gratitude and, and the sadness is nowhere to be found. And then there's days where you're back on the, that other side. And then there's days where you're straddling again. And that's just, that's the ebb and flow of grief and living this life and the duality. And it's just, it's, it's, that's one of those grief gifts that you get where you get to experience just all of this. And you know, what has happened? I, I also, about a year ago, I was, I was like, you know what? I got to get out of this house, right? I got to get out of the house. Although, you know, I've, I've been given the opportunity to still be home with my kids. You know, I, not everybody has that. And, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy just because I was, I had certain opportunities. It didn't make my grief any 
easier or harder. But I was like, you know, I need to go, you know, I need to go make extra money because we want to travel and all this stuff. And yeah, you know, we, we, we have a small income that comes in, but at the same time, like I, I need to go make something happen for my life to feel that I'm contributing to my life and to my kids and maybe getting out of my house would be great. And so I became a substitute teacher a year ago. And when I tell you, I substitute at a middle school and my heart is in these at-risk kids that go to the school. And it's like, I see Brandon in them. I see his story. I see my kids in them. You know, I see me in them. And I'm like, I could have never mentored and ministered to these kids without this loss. Because I would have been telling Brandon, Brandon, you got to go into the middle school. These kids need to hear your story. You need to go. You need to go. You need to go. I never thought that it could be me. And part of losing Brandon has given me the confidence and the intelligence to know that I, I have a way to speak to people, that it's not just Brandon's story that's life-changing, it's mine as well, and it's ours together, and that there are people out there who want to hear it and who need to hear it. And so it's just, I, I, I continue to I substitute every, every couple of days during the week. I go see my, my kids that my, my kids that are struggling, who aren't going home to good homes at night, you know, and I give them the love that they need and they give me love in return. And we, it, it is what it is. And, and I love every second of it, but I'm where I am because I lost him, right? I'm here talking to you because I lost him. And that's the reality that I'm in today. I live in this place, like I've been really overwhelmed even within this past week, because it's like I shared shared this same story that I've shared with you of his passing on TikTok for the first time ever. And it blew up, never expecting that. Like I'm not an influencer. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not what I'm. I'm not trying to be TikTok thing. Well, you you actually are an influencer. Right. Well, yeah, you're, I guess you you've in, in you're, as a substitute teacher yeah. and as a mother, you've yeah. influenced the people around you. But like, I never intend. Like, I, I didn't have this overarching goal of sharing my story and like you know doing all this. But I think what I've come to realize is that's the integration of loss, right? Where you can still have such a profound relationship with your person on the other side of death and it catapults you into this authentic intentional person that you are always supposed to be if you allow it if you allow it and if you're willing to do the work because not everybody wants to do the hard stuff and you have to want to do the hard stuff to get to this part and that's 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 the choice that you're left inside of grief yeah i just i i found myself in everything you said in the last 5 minutes <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it was beautifully said and i love the fact that you're substitute teaching i mean it's it's just beautiful to give back and it just feels natural i mean i i'm sure it feels natural for you it feels natural for me to do this which is like my initial steps into hopefully helping other people explore the, their grief it just seems to make sense after you go through this to, to, to share it it's something inside of us that's like this is not meant to be done alone sitting at home like this is although technically we are both sitting at home uh, <laughs> I'm, i am like my kids my kids were on spring break all last week so the fact that i'm sitting alone <laughs> on 
now having an adult conversation <laughs> with heaven. Okay. This is heaven right now. But, you know, it's a different type of alone, right? Because loneliness is a mindset. And so we're not sitting here in the wallow and the the sadness of, oh, we're so alone. No, we are choosing to sit alone in our home, but we're we're doing it for our greater good, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just really enjoyed listening to that. I think the big yeah. thing is is, you know, you don't you don't realize when something Something that you would never choose for yourself, right? We would never choose this. But yet inside of it, you have so much choice for who you want to become on the other side of it. And that's pretty awesome. Like, I, I, I think one of the, the big things that I tell people all the time is the day Brandon died, I died too. But my death came with a rebirth. And it was a rebirth of choice. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I've definitely felt that. I've said something much more crude in the sense of I felt I usually would say that it's just, you know, you have two choices. Once you experience something like this, you could either grow or you could just some people just shut down and they don't. That's it. That's the end of them. And and it's unfortunate. And but I understand it. Right. Like there's. There's, Look, in the first year, I was there. I, I think I got so scared that I was never going to come out of the darkness that I was like, you, like you're going, you're getting out of this. And, and, and I've, I've experienced, and, and the thing is, is I didn't know young, young widows and young widowers. Like I've experienced older people in my family that lost spouses and, you know, there's, there's certain people that I can look at and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that way with my grief, you know? What the love that I had and the story that I had was too profound and too beautiful to just turn to darkness. And I didn't want that to happen. But you have to sit in the darkness first, right? You do. Like you absolutely do. Because it's not until you've experienced the dark that you can even find out who you are in the light. Yeah. And to anyone listening who is in that dark, it's okay to sit in that dark, you know, like we don't have to beat ourselves up for sitting in that darkness for fully experiencing what just happened. Like that's, I think one of the things that I try to echo the most is that it's always, you know, we always have this natural inclination to beat ourselves up about the way we feel and what's going on. You know, it's like, okay, something terrible happened. Like, why can't I just feel better? Like, I want to feel better. Why can't I? And it's like, you're almost beating yourself up because you can't like get out of feeling a certain way. And it's, you know, that we don't have a choice of how we feel sometimes. Yeah. We, we just have to, you know, understand that it's happening, love ourselves and understand that it can be temporary if we want it to be, but we can't really, you know, we have to, we have to let that emotion pass through us. And we don't really have, and we don't have a choice in that. No. And, and I think it, it, I can go back to that, that darkness. I mean, I, I literally couldn't come out of it, but I, I think it was that I knew, I knew that eventually it would pass because what I had come to realize in losing Brandon was that everything was temporary. Nothing was permanent. 
And if, you know, like I still sit here today, I mean, I'm still in the same house that we lived in and all that, but like at any given time, I'm like, none of this is permanent. I can make a different decision for my life at any given moment. And I think what, 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 what the loss does is you make these choices in your life and you're stuck with them. But in losing him, I realized we put way too much pressure on ourselves to just follow the status quo, stay mediocre, to say, oh, this is what I decided I was doing with my life. And if I don't stay with doing that, then, you know, oh, it's the end of the world. So I'm just going to stay in this job. And I wish, you know, and wish and and always wishing that you would have done something different, right? Or saying it's too late. Or saying that it's too late. And I definitely the loss had me realize that every everything is temporary. Everything. You know, nothing nothing is permanent and no decision that you make today doesn't have the chance to be different tomorrow. So yes, if you're in the darkness today and it feels like you're never coming out of it, tomorrow could be completely different. Completely different. I think it's a beautiful way to end this, honestly. It's been a little over an hour. <laughs> and this seems like a nice stepping off point. Jen, thank you so much for being thank on for and sharing me. your story. That's that's uh, it it's inspirational listening to your story. I, I think a lot of people listening will will find some strength and inspiration in that story and hopefully feel comfortable sharing that. And, and the, honestly, achieving like where you are today versus like that that anger journey is something that I it's it is inspirational to get over that because the anger I feel like is one of the harder parts to get over. You know, sadness is is tough, but the anger and the and trying to make sense of it all that that's always the hardest part. And it's it, it's quite beautiful when you can learn to let go, and and that's so hard. And so I really appreciate you sharing it. And yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was great.